There you go. Four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot. Bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Fight City podcast. This is your host, Alden Kodash, and we're going to be covering this weekend that was with fellow contributor Jeff Fuss. How are you this morning, Jeff? Oh, I'm great, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, absolutely. We had um, a lot of good action last night. Are particularly in Japan and in Las Vegas. We'll start with Japan for all the diehard boxing fans that woke up at 5.30 in the morning and tuned into this card. Uh, well, hopefully you slept in a little bit longer because Triple G made his way to the ring around 8 a.m. Uh, to face hometown hero um, Ryota Murata in a unification fight. Triple G in his first fight in uh, well over a year. Ryota Murata with the WBA title, Triple G with the IBF. Uh, and Triple G got the ninth round knockout. Um, I, I think there's kind of a, a very mixed reaction that I'm seeing on social media. A lot of people are thinking, you know, Triple G is back, you know, what, look out Canelo. Uh, and then, um, you know, a lot of the Triple G haters, obviously, are thinking he'd be cannon fodder for Canelo. And, and then I, I guess you got people like me that, you know, I'm impressed by Triple G's performance. I thought this truthfully was the best he's looked since the second Canelo fight. But, um, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, I'm not overly excited for his um, third fight with Canelo, which has been pre-agreed to, because you know, it doesn't really change the narrative that that Triple G is, you know, 40-year-old fighter and uh, he's good for for his age, and he's certainly one of the best at 160. But against a guy like Canelo, who's uh, you know bigger and better since their second fight, I think um, <clears throat> he would just be too much. What was your take? I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I thought him coming in at 160, I mean, for a 40-year-old man, wow. Uh, catch him at, like, a kid's Little League baseball game. I'm not picking a fight with that guy. That guy was shredded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's consistent jab, uh, which was obviously helped set up the knockout for him here uh, for this fight. Uh, but like you said, I think age is starting to show. I mean, hey, he looked great for a 40-year-old fighter. Obviously, power is probably the last thing that goes with the fighter. Yeah. Um, devastated Murata, except uh, some of the vulnerabilities were clear, uh, especially in the past couple of other fights that he's had. Um, taking body shots, right? He's wincing at them. He's visibly yeah. showing he's uncomfortable. No amount of sit-ups at whatever age is going to help prevent that. Uh, and as we all know, uh, Canelo Alvarez's body shots are devastating. Um, yeah. So a third fight just doesn't seem, especially with how long it was taking him. Mind you, I guess he's fighting off ring rust, right? 16 months out is quite a bit of time, especially for an older fighter. Uh, but that slow start that he had at the beginning of this fight with Murata, um, he he definitely needs to get more of that ring rust off if he's going to be facing Canelo again. Yeah, especially an older fighter who is arguably overtrained uh, against Murata based on the fact that the fight was canceled uh, due to COVID reasons earlier. Uh, I think it was late last year it was supposed to go down. Um, Triple G, uh, he might have been shredded because he was overtrained, and that might have uh, cost him his legs a little bit. I thought his footwork um, looked uh, <clears throat> looked probably the most uh, 40-year-old-like of any attribute that he showed in the ring on Saturday. Uh, but I also think it's important to kind of get real about the opposition. I mean, we got we got to remember that Rio Murata, he's a tough guy, and he, he's definitely represented uh, himself well. And uh and, and put on a good effort, but, you know, he was, 
nearly shut out by Rob Brandt just a few years back. And uh, he also has a loss to Hassan Nadam Najikum, who, you know, not trying to be mean, but, you know, top-level opposition shouldn't be losing to that guy, uh, although Najikum is a tough fighter. Uh, you know, Triple G, he looked good, but against limited opposition. And uh, he would be moving up past 160 for the first time in his career to fight Canelo, who's going to be fighting at 175 against arguably the number two man in the division right now in, in Dimitri Bivol. Uh, so, you know, I, I, there, there's a lot of reasons why if I were Canelo, uh, I know, I know Canelo's mentioned that this, this could be personal, the third fight, he might not have got over some of the remarks Triple G made about the clenbuterol usage in the second fight, but I would be more excited to fight, uh, and prove myself against an Artur Baterbiev, uh, Baterbiev gets by Joe Smith, than than I would be to, uh, to, to, to fight a guy that I've already fought 24 rounds against. And, and in my mind, I think Canelo thinks that, you know, Canelo's won the majority of those 24 rounds. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, Canelo's chasing legacy right now. Uh, I mean, it's not going to hurt Canelo's legacy by no means if he fights Triple G again, especially if he beats him decisively in this outing. But um, the, the challenge aspect, uh, I'm not sure if uh, it's going to captivate him as much as, as him against uh, uh, would be. Yeah, I'm curious. Uh, I, you know, DGG definitely thinks that he won. He says it's not personal, it's business. So part of me is like considering, you know, you're at 160, you just unified. Why are you not getting the other belts at 160? Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So is this kind of like, you know, uh, he's 40. Is it a last, a fight that will attract fans, uh, a last minute money grab? Uh, if it is, hey, kudos to him. He's he he has the chips, obviously, to be able to make this fight happen. I guess they already have something, like you said earlier, uh, yep. agreed to. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know if I really want to watch it, but hey, if they, it does happen, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll watch it. It's an event, and uh, you know, still captivates. I mean, Triple G is more a household name than Arthur Baterbiev is, although Canelo is the cash cow of boxing, so he might be making a little bit less if he fights Baterbiev than Triple G, based on how big an event the third fight with triple G would be, but, you know, Canelo, uh, you know, he makes enough money in my opinion and probably his own that, uh, that, uh, marginal more amount of money he'd be making to fight triple G might not outweigh the, uh, the fact that, uh, he would make more of a, uh, a legacy for himself with a win over, uh, Artur Baterbiev if Baterbiev gets by Joe Smith. And, uh, let's not forget that if, um, if Baterbiev gets by Joe Smith and uh, Canelo gets by Bivol, I, I I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that would be for all four belts at 175, which you know is, is a huge accomplishment considering that he just unified all the titles at 168. And guys like Baterbiev and, and Joe Smith and, and Bivol are, you know, real tough, big 175-pound fighters. At least Bivol, excuse me, at least uh, Baterbiev and Smith. Yeah, uh, wow, that would be, and like you said, Canelo's chasing legacy at the moment. So if uh, he were to pull that, I do. Um, um, to to your recollection, do you know anyone who's ever done that? Uh, unified in the four belt era, in a <laughs> definitely not uh, in the four belt era, definitely not. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm assuming, uh, I'm very confident that it's been done uh, in that span uh, back when we had less belts, uh, let alone when we only had one belt. Um, you know, you think back to the, the, the years of Henry Armstrong and, uh, I'd have to refer to box before I get too historical and, and try to get factual, but, 
Yeah, that would be astonishing uh, in in this four belt era if, if Canelo can do that. But more importantly, you know, him against Bet Herbiev, I, I my mind's not made up on who wins that fight, and that's the most important thing to me is that you know Baturbiev's knocked out every opponent he's ever stepped into the ring against. Uh, I mean, he's just a you know, Siberian warrior who's <laughs> out for blood, and uh, he will fight with heinous injuries like he did against Marcus Brown in his last fight, uh, and then fight a guy like Joe Smith right after. Um, you know, if he stops Joe Smith, which I think he will, and I think that'll be a, a brilliant victory, uh, people just need to see this guy a little more, and and, and maybe they'll <laughs> come around to the fact that uh, this is a more uh, zesty matchup than or tasty matchup than uh, a Triple G fight would be. But, you know, Triple G and Canelo have, I guess, agreed to September 17th. And uh, if Canelo gets by B-Ball, I guess that's going to happen. Yeah, all things considered, you know, I, I mean, if, if if the chips, you know, fall as, a, as I think they will, uh, I, I really am still intrigued by this Beach or Biev Canelo matchup. Like you said, uh, the guy's a monster. So, uh, you know, I guess yeah. we'll see when that time comes. Yeah. And he's also getting older, um, not as old as Triple G, but, you know, he's in his mid 30s, uh, extensive amateur background, um, you know, over 300 fights like Triple G. So clock is ticking on him as well. Uh, although Triple G does have a lot more uh, mileage in the pro regime uh, than Paterbiev. So, you know, that's one reason that we'd want to that some people would want to see Triple G against Canelo again before it's too late. I, in my opinion, it's already too late. But, uh, you know, whatever whatever uh, moves the needle faster, because I'm, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling uh, impatient to see Canelo uh, try to realize what he wants to uh, accomplish in becoming the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. And, you know, with without beating Bivol and Viterbiev, I don't think he has a shot at challenging Julio Cesar Chavez's uh, standing as the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. And, and that history is kind of exciting to me. You know, I mean, you don't often, uh, uh, not many generations have someone who's going to legitimately be in historical contention against a guy of like Julio Cesar Chavez or uh, Ruben Olivares or Salvador Sanchez. And, and Canelo, I mean, I, I think he really only has one track to getting there, at least in, in surpassing Chavez. No, I agree. Uh, we are very fortunate, I think, to be living uh, at a time to where Canelo can be putting himself in that type of contention historically. Uh, and I see, so <laughs> whenever Canelo fights, you know, I will be watching. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hopefully everyone was watching on Showtime uh, about 12, 13 hours later <laughs> when they finally started uh, Fundora versus Erickson Lugan. Sebastian Fundora, 24 years old. Uh, probably the most odd physical specimen you'll ever see in any division. He's um, six foot six and uh, 154 pounds, 24 years old. Stays undefeated with an emphatic ninth round stoppage over number one WBC contender once beaten Erickson Lubin. Definitely a fight of the year candidate, maybe the leading candidate so far for fight of the year uh, in this fight. Both fighters were down. Lubin down in the second round by a right uppercut. Fundora down in the seventh round from accumulated punishment, took a knee. And... Um, gets up and just gets right back to business and just breaks Lubin's face. He literally broke his face in multiple spots and uh, pretty scary to look at. Kudos to Kevin Cunningham for stopping that fight. Uh, what was your impression of, of this, uh, of this battle? 
Man, uh, I love watching Fundora. Like you said, the guy is such an odd specimen, but the sweetest young man. Um, <laughs> like, he's just so funny, too. Post conference, like, he brought the yes. hammer, but I brought my drill. Um, <laughs> and just it's so odd to watch him box uh, and, and to see such a tall dude. And I know we've we've talked about this guy before, but again, just loves to sit on the inside. And he knows his his bread and butter is the uppercut, which for if I was his trainer, I'd be like, dude, you need to start working that jab more. Um, <laughs> but to see the pre-Lubin and then post-Lubin, um, it makes me a little concerned. And, and like you said, kudos to Cunningham for for stopping that because uh, Lubin, uh, for such what the guy's twenty six, the guy has a lot of miles on him. He's he's taking some damage, you know. Referring yeah. back to the Charlo fight to now this fight, you know, how much more damage can this young man take? Yeah, I I, I mean the Charlo was a you know one one shot. Uh, he, he might still be feeling the impacts of that shot because it had a definitely scary impact. Uh, Lubin's pretty good defensively, so he didn't take too many shots against the likes of Terrell Gaucher and and uh, some of the other 154-pound contenders in the five years that spanned between the Charlo fight and the Fundora fight. But this fight in and of itself, I mean, you know, when, when your face looks like that, it, that, that could be career-ending. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'd definitely like Lubin. Uh, to be seen immediately by one if he hasn't already. And, and I'd like to hear that assessment because, you know, I, I, I've never personally, I, I got to think back to the to the days of Evander Holyfield and Hasim Rockman to, th- to see, to think of facial swelling to that extent. And that was caused by a headbutt. This was caused by accumulated punishment. Uh, it looked like he was, his face was broken in more than one spot. There's that obvious uh, fracture between his eyes which is a dangerous area to be injured in the first place. Uh, a lot of nerves there. And then his cheek looked like he was like it was broken as well. Obviously, his eyes were swollen shut almost. Um, he was in pretty bad shape, and he still wanted to keep going, and there was only one person to stop the fight in that moment, and Cunningham did the right thing. Yeah, Lubin has a, has a, a huge heart. Uh, I know Fandora alluded to it too in the post-fight uh, interview. Um, and, and kudos to him, dude, at, at taking that amount of punishment and then also being able to, to make Fandora take a knee, uh, watching him unload, uh, on Fandora, I was sitting there thinking, man, if Fandora didn't take that knee, you know, so, uh, Lubin is coming forward, throwing punches and, and, and so confident too, reaching up to hit him in the face, uh, tagging the body when he could. Uh, yeah. so that, that was impressive. You know, you're the first guy to, to make this guy take a knee. That's true. Uh, while receiving that type of punishment with those uppercuts. Just, yeah, wow. I think more than one judge had that round 10-9 because Fundora put such a beating on Lubin for the majority of that round before Lubin uh, put on uh, that comeback and, and drove Fundora to a knee. Uh, Lubin was out on his feet. It looked like uh, in the same round that he put Fundora down. So that just speaks to the, uh, the fight of the year candidate-like uh, action that we were privileged to see on Saturday night. Uh, a really tremendous fight. Um, now Fundora becomes the mandatory uh, by the WBC sanctioning body for the Charlo Castaño 2 winner. That fight will be taking place next month on Showtime. Uh, Tim Zhu is also the WBO mandatory, so you got to ask who gets the first crack at the winner. Uh, probably Fundora. Uh, and I'd personally uh, rather see Fundora against the winner because I think he's, um, I mean, Zhu looked pretty good against Gaucher, but I, I think. Uh, you know, this victory is is definitely more title deserving uh, than than Zoo's victory over Gaucher. Uh, both definitely worthy contenders, but I'd really yeah. like to see Fundora face Charlo Castaño too. 
uh, winner, um, you know, later this year, um, you know, depending on the state of the winner of that fight. Yeah, I'd be excited to see, uh, well, at any anyone uh, fight Fundor next, uh, the Castaño or, or Charlo, uh, yeah. just because we, we both we both know Castaño, you know, heavy volume puncher. Uh, I'd like to see how he fares against uh, Fundor, especially with Fundor fighting on the inside like he does. Uh, and then as well as the power matching with Charlo. Um, so, I mean, regardless, uh, either of those two guys would just be fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, first comes first. We got to get we have to get past Jamel Charlo versus uh, Brian Castaño first, and then we'll see what the matchup is. But I, I agree. I, I think Fundor would probably be a better match uh, to watch. Also, I mean, Sue, he made his U.S. debut against Kashaw, right? Uh, yep. Not more than just a month ago. Uh, so I'm not quite sure where two would fit in, I guess, with the American mainstream fans. But um, for yeah, now, he's making his first appearance on U.S. soil. Yep. And, uh, you know, he, did, he didn't score the knockout. I thought he looked pretty good against Gauthier, but Gauthier has already been beaten by Erickson Lubin and he had he had Zoo down. So there's an argument that, you know, Zoo needs a little more polishing on American soil uh, before he gets that shot. But. You know, I think he's ready for the winner of Fundora and the winner of Charlo Castaño, too. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think we have a very good 154-pound division right now. Uh, it just got even better. And, uh, yeah, just priorities, really. <laughs> Fundora, yeah. you know, when you when you win a fight like that, it's, it's kind of hard to, to not uh, make the case to be next in line after that. So... We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I got to wonder about, uh, you know, Fundor going down against Lubin, how he would take the power of of Jermel Charlo should Charlo come out victorious, though. That is a very good question. Uh, Oh, man. Well, because I think I think he I think he I think he has Charlo's number with that activity until he gets hit. (laughs) <laughs> which, I'll, yeah. which he's not alone. I mean, there's a lot of fighters that are technically better than Charlo that outwork him. Uh, you know, even Tony Harrison in the second fight was uh, was uh, was doing very well on the inside against Charlo until he got cracked. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fundora, um, you know, Luvin's a good puncher, but no one's punching power really stacks up to Jermel Charlo, who in my opinion is maybe the best pound for pound puncher in the sport. Yeah, I suppose that would, hmm. I wonder if Fandor and them, you know, uh, go, going home, you know, obviously enjoying uh, the win, celebrating for a little bit, uh, gets back to work considering, because he, he even said in the post-fight interview, he thinks Charlo's going to defeat Castaño. Yeah. He thinks that, yeah, Castaño can't stand up to the power of Charlo. So hopefully, I guess, in the event that, you know, Charlo wins, uh, they're preparing for, uh, I don't know how you prepare for power shots, but uh, how to try to alleviate that issue when the time comes that these two face each other. Uh, I mean, he's got huge physical advantages over Charlo that he's not going to use at all because <laughs> he's, uh, he's an inside fighter, as you mentioned, always has been. That's, that's his approach. Uh, six foot six against Charlo's. I'm not sure how tall he is. I'm guessing somewhere around 5'10". Uh, yep, he's not going to use those eight inches, uh, nor be the reach advantage as well, uh, which will privilege us to another great fight as long as it lasts. But, you know, he's got to be careful about what's on the receiving end. And Charlo, unlike uh, Erickson Lubin, uh, doesn't have a suspect chin. Um, Charlo definitely could take a lot of great shots. He's been shaken up by Brian Castaño, but uh, didn't go down and, and came right back. And uh, it'd be very interesting to see if he can come out on top in the rematch against Brian Castaño next month. That's a great fight. 
just, yeah, a lot of great fights happening at 154. And uh, it's such a great division, but, you know, you got to wonder when some of these guys are going to help out the middleweight division because uh, it seems like some of the best fighters at middleweight are, are thinking about moving up to 168 or about to move up to 168 soon. Think about, obviously, Triple G, who we just spoke about, and, and Demetrius Andrade is going to move up to 168. Uh, you know, we got a very weak 160-pound division uh, and a very strong 154-pound division. So uh, let's let's strike while the iron's hot and uh, make some of these big matches at 154 now before uh, you know we we start seeing some more transitory uh, um, movement between. Yeah, divisions. we can only hope. I mean, like you said, that 160 division starting to look pretty bleak. Um, and then hopefully we can get some of these. You know, can we get a junior middleweight tournament set up? Uh, <laughs> some of these guys you know eventually will start bumping up to that 160 division i mean i would personally like to see fendora at 160 you know uh, that guy with that frame uh i mean yeah i mean <laughs> a guy like fendora with that frame would make for a big cruiserweight hell it make for an average size <laughs> heavyweight um yes. yeah at one, 160 uh it would it would be kind of a uh a, a small a small leap in terms of how big and long he is uh yeah, I think he would be a, a very dominant force at 160. Uh, at least if he can withstand some of the power that uh, we've seen um, uh, him tested against, and if he can take some of the best shots of Jermel Charlo if he come um, if Charlo comes out on top next month. Uh, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff at 154. Uh, another great week for the division. Um, we, yeah, I mean all three fights. We had Tony Harrison impressive victory mm-hmm. over Sergio Garcia. Uh, and then we had, uh, well, the, the opening fight, we probably won't want to talk too much about because Brian Perella was involved in yet another draw, even though he has Roy Jones in his corner. But, uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of big stuff at 154. So exciting division. Fundora rises to the top. And, yeah, let's see how he does against the undisputed champion. Uh, God forbid another draw. But um, I'm hoping that we'll finally have a four-belt era undisputed 154 pound champion hopefully fingers crossed but then again this is boxing yeah very close fight in the first fight um well i guess before we wrap things up who do you have in the second fight of charlo and castagna uh, i think i'm gonna go with uh with fundora stated i think charlo is gonna take this one um even though i i, I do like castagna i do and i i really did enjoy that first fight um, but I'm going to edge it with Charlo just because of the power uh, that he has, you know, and then he's able to go home, reassess what was wrong in the first fight. And and I think that they'll come out on, on top. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, there's there's more upside for Charlo against Castaño in the second fight, in my opinion. I think Castaño fought a perfect fight in the first fight and unfortunately came up short. A uh, very close fight. A lot of people thought he won. But uh, Charlo almost had him out of there on several occasions. And uh, I think if he modifies his game plan a little more and fights a smarter fight, stays off the ropes and is more active, uh, he might be able to score the knockout or at least a decision victory. Uh, regardless, I think we're all just hoping for a great fight, just like the first fight. And uh, probably won't be as good as Lubin and Fundora, but hopefully something in that ballpark to keep the division uh, spicy hot. So that's pretty much all we have today fans for the fight city podcast weekend that was thanks so much jeff for for joining us and encourage everyone to check us out on the fightcity.com for more exciting news to come hey appreciate it, all of them
tough, clean fight. Protect yourself at all times. Any questions in the challenger?